to the Attracting Lasting Love podcast presented by CoachingWithRoy.com. You've found the place where single adults come for mindful wisdom and insight into how to attract and create healthy, lasting, conscious relationships. And now, here's your host, the owner of CoachingWithRoy.com, number one best-selling author, certified relationship coach, and TV analyst, Roy Biancalana. Well, hello there, and... Welcome to the Attracting Lasting Love podcast. I am Roy Biancolana, and I'm thrilled that you have taken the time to listen to this, to put your heart and soul into something. And I always appreciate people who want to learn and want to grow and want to better themselves and want to learn about relationships and kind of wake up to patterns and dynamics and spot blind spots in their lives. And and just people that want to improve themselves and grow are just my kind of people. So thank you for being that kind of person because you wouldn't be here unless you were. And this is a really important podcast. Um, Perhaps I might even call it my signature message. In this podcast, and I've titled this particular episode Fit to be Tied Getting Ready for Something Real. And when I say fit to be tied, I don't mean fit to like be married or get married. I mean, are you fit to be in a relationship? So let me ask you a really important question. What's your relationship fitness level? How relationally in shape are you? How fit are you to create a healthy, sustainable relationship? That is an unbelievably important question that I think many people overlook. If you know anything about me, I always harp on what most of us do, which is to think about where do I go, how do I approach, what do I say to someone? Like we we get focused on on them and how to find them and how to attract them and where do I go to meet a particular kind of person and so forth. And we miss maybe something that I have found over all the years that I've been coaching and working with people and looking at my own life, we don't put enough emphasis on wondering about what I call our own relationship fitness level. So let me start by just giving you kind of an analogy, I guess. Maybe it's a metaphor. Sometimes I don't know which is which with those. But just imagine that I am a triathlon coach. Right Now, I've never run a triathlon. I'm not a triathlon coach, but just play along with me. And also imagine that you want to run a triathlon. You want to compete in a triathlon and you want to do well. So you're smart and you know that if I want to do well at something, I want to get coached. I want someone with some experience. And so you've heard that I've competed in the Ironman triathlon and I've done really well and I've won that kind of thing. And so you come to me um, and you're wanting to be coached on how to have a successful 
triathlon experience, right? So I'm glad to help you because that's what I do. And so we sit down together and you start asking me all kinds of questions, right? You, you start saying, hey, Roy, uh, how do I survive the beginning part when everyone dives in the water and they're swim, swimming two and a half miles, but it's a frenzy and you can get drowned in there in the beginning. How do I handle the water situation? And then how do I make the transition from the water to the bike? Because you know a triathlon is a three-part thing, right? You swim two and a half miles, you bike 112 miles, and then you run a full marathon <laughs> all in the same day, back to back to back. So there's these transition moments between the water and the bike and then the bike to running and so forth. So you're asking me questions about that, and it's great. I'm having fun. And you ask me questions about, you know, because you're going to be out there all day. You know, when do I eat? How much do I eat? Should I drink water? How much? When? Where should I speed up on the course and kind of make up some time? Where should I kind of slow down and relax? And so you're asking me pacing questions and, you know, diet questions. And yeah, you even have to go to the bathroom. You're out there maybe for 10, 12 hours, unless you're really a champion, you can do it in eight. But so you're asking me all these questions and then I start getting concerned. Like, even though I love answering the questions, it, it dawns on me that you're asking questions about race day, about what to do on the morning of the of the actual race. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, those are okay, those are important questions, you know, some strategy for the race, techniques and tactics and tips and for the actual race. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, that's important. But man, you're not asking me about the most important thing. Do you know what that is? Like you're not asking me about how to train, how to get yourself in the kind of condition that you need to be in, in order to finish a race like that. Like in the grand scheme of things, it's far more important that you focus on your training and your fitness level than you are to focus on your race day strategy. Because you can have the greatest race day strategy in the world, but if you're 50 pounds overweight, you're not going to make it you know, halfway in the water. Do you follow me? Do you, do you see the common sense in that? That if you want to do well in the actual race, it's not about race day. It's about the preparation. It's about getting yourself in the proper physical conditioning to handle what's ahead of you. Now, nothing could be a better description of your love life. And people make the same mistakes as my little triathlon story indicates. That they come to me and they want to know about where do I go? How do I approach? What do I say? How do I flirt? You know, all those things are race day questions, meaning they're asking me questions on what do I do when I'm standing right in front of someone or how do I meet that person or make contact with them. But those questions are all about the moment when you're beginning the relationship, when you're getting it off the ground, when you're kind of standing on the starting line, you could say, right? Now, 
Those kinds of questions are important. But if you're not in great relationship shape, then you'll never go the distance in whatever relationship you create. You can have the greatest relationship strategy of meeting people and connecting with people and how you communicate with them and you know how you interact with them and create interest and get phone numbers. You, you can have the greatest tactics and strategies and formulas and methods in the world. But once you meet that person, you have to create a relationship with them. And if you're not in great relationship shape, you'll never go the distance. Relationships are difficult. They are challenging. Do you know that about 90% of people who start a triathlon finish the race? Do you know about 44% of people who get married finish the race? Do you know that? It is more difficult to relate with another human being than it is to run a triathlon. Far more difficult. So that means if you want to be successful in your love life, you have to take your physical conditioning way more seriously. I mean, your relational conditioning. You have to take your relationship conditioning way more seriously than a triathlete takes their physical conditioning. You got you to work on yourself. You got to do the reps. You got to get yourself in shape before you get to that starting line. Because just like in the triathlon, once you stand on that starting line, once it's race day, it's too late. If you're not in shape, you ain't going to make it. And it's the same way in your love life. Once you meet someone, whether it's at a bar, at church, through online dating, through just the circumstances of life, like I met my wife at a personal growth conference, once you're on that starting line, once you're standing face to face with a potential partner, it's too late. If you're not in good relationship shape, it ain't going to go anywhere. And I mean... It's not going to turn into a healthy, beautiful, sustainable intimacy. It's going to fall apart because you're not in good relationship condition. Same way in a triathlon. You're not in physical condition. You're not going to make it. Now, if you buy that and, oh man, if you get that, if you, if if it reorients your thinking completely, Because most people are just focused on race day. Where do I meet people? Where do I go? Most people think that they are in adequate relationship shape. But I don't know how to say this to you. If you were in great relationship shape, you'd be in a great relationship. The reason you're not in a great relationship is not because you haven't met the right person yet. Your relationships are a, 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 they're kind of a function of or a reflection of your relationship condition. So the fact that your love life is not the way you want it to be is not because you haven't gotten lucky to meet the right person yet. 
It's because are you open to the possibility that maybe you need to get yourself in better relationship shape? The answer to that question is yes. If you don't get yourself in better relationship shape, then the next relationship you do get yourself into is liable to go the same way all the other ones have. They've probably been short-term or disappointing relationships. Because if you were in a great relationship, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Right? That's not a criticism. That's no shame in that. Oh my God, I only know these things because I've lived them. You are talking to someone who for the vast majority of his life was morbidly obese in terms of his relationship conditioning. Okay? I mean, so I have no judgment for you or for anyone that needs to get themselves in better shape. I am the king of being fat and overweight and sloppy in my love life. And the results I experienced in my relationships showed it. I mean, I was married for 19 years. That relationship fizzled out into kind of a platonic, co-parenting, brotherly, sisterly thing. That wasn't her fault. That was because I wasn't relationally in shape. I wasn't fit to be tied. And I got into a rebound relationship. It was all based on sex and fear and insecurity. There was That was a mess. And then I did a bunch of online dating after that and created nightmares and difficulties and drama like you wouldn't believe. If you've read my first book, you know what I'm talking about. I described some of the bizarre situations I got myself into. Right? So, so I am the king of being in terrible relationship shape and then as a result creating dysfunctional connections drama, difficulty, breakups, and that kind of stuff. Now, I don't know if you're in as bad of a relationship shape as I was back in the day, Um, but my guess is you could use to get yourself in better shape. And in fact, do you have any interest in knowing what your current relationship fitness level is? You know, I have a way of helping you find out how relationally fit you are even right now. I mean, think of it this way. If you went to a gym and you hired a trainer and you said, you know, I want to, I want to get in shape. I want to lose some weight. I want to get strong. I want to be flexible. I want to, I just, I want to take care of my body. I want to get in shape. Well, a good trainer, once they know what your goals are, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to run you through a bunch of things to assess your current fitness level, right? They want to know what they're starting with. They want to know where you are. Where are you strong? Where are you weak? Where are you flexible? Where are you not flexible, right? They're going to, they're going to put you through a complete physical assessment because from there, then they can design a plan to get you in shape once they know what they're working with. Well, I have that. I have a way for you to discover how relationally fit you are. There is a self-assessment test that I have on my website. And it is unbelievably accurate. 
It is incredibly confidential. Even I don't see your answers. Only you get your answers. But it's a 30-question, true-false self-assessment test. Take you maybe five minutes to take it. You get your results immediately. You also then get some suggestions on what to do based upon the fitness level that you are at in this moment. So you not only kind of find out, you know, how relationally fit you are, but you get a detailed plan on here's what you need to do to get yourself in better shape. It's just a phenomenal thing. It's one of the best things I've ever created. So you can find the Relationship Fitness Self-Assessment Test right on the homepage of Coaching with Roy, coachingwithroy.com. So I suggest you go there, take that fitness test, find out where you are, and then the rest of this conversation right here might be even that much more valuable for you. So here's what I want to do. What I have discovered to use the fitness metaphor, right? I've been working in, in the relationship dynamic for, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And I've been working with single people exclusively for about 15. And what I've discovered is not only is your fitness level the most important thing to, to creating a sustainable healthy relationship. But I have discovered that there are like seven muscles, seven relationship muscles, you could say, that need to be strong if you're going to be ready for something real. If you are fit to be tied, if you are fit to be in a relationship, it is because your seven relationship muscles are very strong. None of them are weak. None of them are flabby. None of them are absent, right? The most important muscles that you need to be functioning at a high level and attract and create a deep, conscious, healthy relationship with another human being, you need to have those muscles within you strong. Now, here's one of the reasons why. The law of attraction says, like attracts like. Now, if you know anything about me, I'm not a fan of the law of attraction, okay? Only because the law of attraction can work against you. Because whatever fitness level you are at, you will attract someone at the same fitness level. In other words, you will never attract a partner who is more relationally fit than you are. You like attracts like. You attract at your, at your level, always. So any relationship you're in is never healthier than you are. Every relationship you're in is as healthy as you are. So this is important because if you want to be in a really healthy, sustainable relationship, it's not about finding someone who is very healthy and all their relationship muscles are strong. It's simply about getting yourself in relationship shape and you will automatically attract someone who is as fit as you. So if you're like I was back in the day, dangerously out of shape, I attracted women who were dangerously out of shape too. And we created nightmares together. All right? So 
the reason why it's so important is that you'll we all want to attract a really great person, a deep person, trustable person, a person that you can you know really support and will support you and you can go through thick and thin with them and you can count on them and you know they help you grow, you're a better person because you're with them. We all want an ideal partner. But what we forget is that we will only attract someone who is at our level. So the whole key is raise your level. Get healthier, get stronger, get more fit, relationally speaking, and you will attract a higher quality person. That's how it works. The law of attraction. There's no disputing this. It's like Eckhart Tolle is never going to be interested in Kim Kardashian. He might think she's beautiful. He might think she's sexy. But they are on two completely different levels. Do you follow me? They, they, They see the world in different ways. They function in very, very different ways. Follow me? So... That's how important your fitness level is. And you gotta, and you really do need to, to know where you're starting from. But what I want to do now is I want to just briefly describe the seven muscles. And I want you to, to hear this and listen to this. But, and I want you to sort of um, grade yourself as we go. I want you to be asking yourself, as I describe each one of these seven, quote, muscles, How strong or how weak are you in each one? In fact, which ones do you need to work on the most? Which ones do you feel like, okay, I I guess I could be stronger, but I feel pretty good about that one. But, you know, this one and that one, oh man, I I need to work on that. If you can identify one or two that you know that you're weak in, that you need to really work on that muscle in your life, then you are doing yourself such a service. Because just like in the gym, you can get in shape, right? I don't care who you are. You can get in really good shape if you want to. And the same is here. Whatever muscle is weak in your life, I can get you in shape. I can show you the, quote, exercises you need to do to strengthen that muscle, I can walk with you and train you and be side by side with you, sort of in the gym, we could say, and help you work on whatever muscle is weak. But you you have to sort of be brave enough to identify and admit that muscle, man, I'm I'm really out of shape with that one. That that muscle's really flabby in me. So let me just walk them walk through with you. And all of these muscles are kind of, you have a relationship with these muscles, right? So the first one is your, the muscle of reality. It's, it's your relationship to reality. What is your relationship to what is? What is your relationship to your relationship status? How do you feel about that? What is your relationship to the reality of your relationship results that you have experienced? Right? So the primary relationship in our life, the primary muscle, is our relationship to reality, to what is. And here's the choice. You can either resist 
reality or you can accept it. If you're in resistance to reality, then whatever you're resisting is going to persist. This is another spiritual law. What you resist persists. So if you're in real resistance to your relationship status, meaning you're single and you don't like it and it's a problem and it needs to be fixed and something's wrong with me and I can't meet someone. If you have a lot of negativity about your current relationship status, that attitude toward your reality is going to, it, it, it's, it's going to, that negativity is going to affect your attractiveness. Right? If, if you're being single is a problem that needs to be fixed and you're upset about that and you're obsessing about that and you, I got to find a partner. I, I don't like being single. I, this is no fun. This is, I don't like this reality right now. Today I'm single and I don't like it. And if there's negativity around that, it's going to affect your, it's going to affect your attractiveness and it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because nobody's attracted to people who are needy or desperate or negative about their love lives and feel hopeless and feel down and feel angry at God and angry at life and angry at men or angry at women. This is the reality. You have to ask yourself, what's my relationship to reality, to the reality of my relationship status? So when you resist, it's you're your relationship status is going to persist. If you are in acceptance, if you can say, as I say in one of my books, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. In other words, if you can, this is the day, like this situation, my relationship status, it's not talking about a certain day of the week. It's talking about whatever reality is. This is the day. This is it. This is what is. If you, if you're like, this is the way the, the life has it. This is, I am right where I'm supposed to be. Uh, this is the way God has made it. This is not a mistake. This is not a problem. And, and I have a rejoicing attitude about what's unfolding right in front of me. That joy, that acceptance of your reality, of your relationship status, that peacefulness, that that tr- I'm trusting in life, I'm trusting in God, whatever you want to call it, I'm trusting that I am right where I'm supposed to be, that all is well, that I'm okay, that whatever is best for me is optimal, is happening. When you're in that place, you're in a joyful place, you're in an accepting place, you're in a, a place where there's no resistance to the way life is right now. And that just happens to be when you're the most attractive person you can be because you're not Debbie Downer. You're not negative. You're not lonely. You're not saying God hates me. You're not saying men and women in the dating and the online thing, this all sucks. You know, you're, you're, you're not forcing it. You're not trying too hard. You're, this is the day the Lord has made. Or as Krishna Maturi, uh, an Indian sage, they asked him one time, what does enlightenment mean to him? Like, why is he so peaceful? Why is he such a happy person? He said, 
He said, I guess I just don't mind what happens. I guess I just don't mind what hap- what's happening. What's he saying? I don't mind reality. Whatever's happening, however people are behaving, circumstances, conditions, I'm surrendered. Uh, I'm in, I'm in non-resistance to what is. And therefore he's in a place of happiness. He's in a place of enlightenment. And I'm just saying when you're in that place of non-resistance, it doesn't make you complacent. Oh, I'll never try to find a partner. I'll never find a partner unless I'm all worried about it, unless I'm trying really hard. If I was to accept my relationship status and be okay with it today, oh, then I'll never find someone. Well, that's just ridiculous. We're not talking about accepting that you'll be single forever. You don't know anything more than this moment. You might be dead five minutes from now. You might be dead next week. You might meet somebody wonderful five minutes from now or next week. You, you don't know about the future. What you do know is reality is what it is right now. And if you hate the way it is right now, then it's going to affect your overall attractiveness, and then that's going to be self-fulfilling. So that's that's the first muscle. And then, you know, different um, different podcasts, I'll take each one of these muscles and break it down and spend a whole episode talking about it. But that's the first one. Reality, are you resisting or accepting? Okay, here's the next muscle. That muscle is the the uh, the organ between your ears, your mind. You have a relationship with your mind. You have a relationship with your thinking. Okay? And this is unbelievably important. Do you listen to that voice in your head? Right? You do know you have a voice in the head, right? Like right now, just silently say hello inside your head. Make it louder. Okay? So you do notice that there is a voice that's always talking in your head. It never shuts up. <laughs> it's got opinions about everything. It's yapping about the traffic. It's yapping about life. It's telling you what's right and what's wrong. It's making judgments. It has opinions. It's telling stories. It, it's like you have an inner roommate. One of my favorite books, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, the, I think chapter two is called Your Inner Roommate. And it's talking about this voice in your head. It's like there's a person living inside of you and it's just talking to you all day long. And it's talking about what's happening and it's talking about what this person did and what that person did. And then it's rehashing things. It's talking about what might happen. It's talking about the past. It's just yapping, yapping, yapping. That voice in your head has got all kinds of opinions and stories about Life, love, and the pursuit of intimacy. It's got beliefs. It's got judgments. And that voice in your head is always talking about things in order to make you feel more calm and peaceful. It's trying to explain everything, that voice. It's trying to understand why life is the way it is. It's trying to make sense out of things that you don't know. Like a person doesn't call you or they act weird and your voice is going to say, well, then they must not like me or they're having a bad day, right? Whenever you feel confused or you, or you don't know something and you're wondering, the voice in your head is going to come up with a solution. It's going to come up with a story as to what's going on. 
why life is this way, why that person's behaving this way, why a person's acting this way in your life, why a person you're dating is doing something or not doing something. You know, if they haven't texted you for a few hours, that voice in your head's going to start telling you, oh, that's because they're not interested or that's because, you know, they're just not very good at communicating or it, it'll just make things up. Have you noticed that your mind j- just it has an opinion about everything. And have you noticed that very often it's wrong? So like in one of my books, I talk about that you have a, you have your own inner relationship coach. You, <laughs> you have a, your mind is like your inner relationship coach. It's giving you advice. It's telling you what to do and how to respond and you know, what, what this means and what that means. And, it is helping you interpret people's behaviors, right? Have you noticed how often it's wrong? So I joke in my book that you should fire your inner relationship coach. So this muscle, that voice in your head, your relationship to that voice in your head, here's the choice. You're either going to listen to that or you're going to laugh at it. See, a wise person doesn't trust that voice in their head. Because they know that the voice in the head is just talking about things based upon the past. They know that the voice in the head has got a very limited perspective because it it doesn't know anything beyond your individual experiences. Like, for instance, if you've had five major relationships and each and in each relationship the person you've been with has cheated on you. When you meet a new person, what is that voice in the head going to tell you? This one's going to cheat on you too. And in a sense, based upon your wisdom and your experience, it it would be right because everybody's cheated on you. But you've only dated five people and there's eight billion on the planet. So you'd be crazy to listen to that voice in your head tell you, you ought to be careful. You ought to maybe check them out. You ought to go slow. You ought to, you know, be a little suspicious. You ought to be a little guarded here. You don't want to get hurt again because everybody else cheated on you and this one is going to cheat on you too. That is a nightmare. But that is what the voice in your head is going to say. And if you listen to it, you're going to screw up your love life. You... Your mind, you don't know anything. You can't trust your own thinking because it's so based on your limited experience and it's so based upon your past and it's so colored by your neuroticness and, and the way you've been raised and the conditioning and experiences you've been through. That voice in your head is, is you should laugh at that thing. It's nuts, right? Have you noticed how neurotic that voice in your head is? How needy it is? How narcissistic it is? How negative it is? But most of us, because we're all told, oh, you should trust yourself. Oh, you should really trust trust your thinking. No, just a, a wise person, a conscious person really knows how limited their mind is and has really grown to see that That voice in the head is wrong about so many things and it's so neurotic and it's so poisoned by past experiences 
that you should laugh at that thing more than you should listen to it. Right? So this is, this is the muscle of your mind. And if it's strong, you question your thinking. You question your stories. You inquire as to the truthfulness. You are suspicious about your own opinions. You are really curious about what you're missing, about what the real truth might be. You just don't take your thinking as gospel and your stories as gospel. You are very much willing to question your beliefs and your opinions and your judgments. You even get to the point where you're like, you know what? The opposite could be more true or truer than my story about why a person is this way or that way or something like that. So that's that's the muscle of the mind. And, and if it's strong, you do not listen to it. You laugh at it. You question it. If it's weak, you just do whatever that voice in your head tells you to do. Oh, you need to give them a piece of your mind. Oh, they haven't texted you in a few hours? Well, that's just unacceptable. You need to dump them before they dump you. Then you blow up their phone and you find out, no, I dropped my phone in the toilet. I, you know, or I've been in a meeting all day or I got in a car accident. And, and you're like, oh, um, sorry, uh, my bad. Right? And we never learn that our mind is wrong all the time and we keep listening to it and, and it messes up our lives. All right? So that's the, that's the second muscle. The third one is your emotions. What's your relationship to your emotional self? Most of us avoid. Here's the choice. We either can avoid our feelings or we can feel them. Right? So your relationship to your emotions is huge in relationships. Because the way you treat your own feelings is the way you're going to treat somebody else's feelings. And let's face it, relationships really are emotionally based. Even if you're someone who's, you know, disconnected from their emotions and you feel like, oh, I'm not a very emotional person. Contact with another human being is emotion based. It, it Relationships are a contact sport and the contact is our feelings and our emotions towards someone. So your relationship to emotions in general, your emotional intelligence is going to be a huge factor on whether your relationships last and grow and become beautiful, connected intimacies or whether your relationships continue maybe to be these short-term disappointing things that fall apart. Can you be with your feelings in a friendly way, feel them, express them to others in a way that creates harmony and connection? Or do you, do your feelings kind of take you over and then you, you either dump them on someone or you suppress them or somehow you avoid them or they build up and they build up and then they explode all over someone. So, how strong is your emotional muscle? Are you an avoider? Do you just want to distract yourself from your feelings? Do you want to medicate your feelings? Do you just want to numb them out? Do you just spiritualize them? Oh, you know, God's in control. So even though my mother just died, I'm not sad. because No, 
That's phony, right? Most people are very uncomfortable with sadness or fear, anger. These are uncomfortable feelings. So either they take us over and then we get lost in them or we push them aside and we drown them out with alcohol or porn or shopping or gambling or something, you know so we don't we don't like uncomfortable feelings most of us this muscle is flabby and so we just avoid them and suppress them and medicate them and try to make them go away but feelings are like little gremlins man if you ignore them and you try to suppress them they don't like that then they start doing weird things in your body and you start getting stomach problems and heart problems and migraines and grinding of your teeth and you know suppressing emotions shows up in your body they don't just go away when you ignore a feeling okay so when when this muscle is strong you learn how to feel your feelings all the way through to their completion you honor your feelings and you know how to experience them within your own body to where you get learnings from them. They can be of great service to you. And because you're learning to be friendly with your feelings, you're able then to hold space and hold presence for someone else's feelings, even if they're angry at you. Because your relationship to feelings is strong. You're not afraid of them. You understand feelings. You welcome them. They're a part of life. You're okay with it. You, you're skillful with them. So then you can really relate to, to a partner, you know, when they're having feelings. And because a lot of, I mean, just guys, sometimes if our, if our partner's having a lot of emotions, you know, go talk to your mother or something. Go talk to your girlfriend. Uh, I'm going to go in the man cave and watch ESPN. Okay, well, you're going to be single if that's what you do, Right. Or if you can't handle your feelings and you just blow up and you just, you get violent or you just get sort of abusive or if you shut down and you withdraw and you get quiet and, right, there's, there's all kinds of unhealthy ways that we deal with our feelings and they will sabotage our abilities to relate with another human being and you'll end up staying single, okay? So how strong is your emotion muscle? Are you in shape or do you need to work on that one? My Lord, who doesn't, right? The fourth one is what I call the muscle of the past. We have a relationship to our past. We are either holding on to our past and keeping it alive or we're letting go and we're free. This is unbelievably huge. Your relationship to the past is perhaps one of the single greatest issues that will keep you stuck in relationships and experiencing patterns of pain and drama, right? All of us, you can't go through life and not be hurt, not have some bad relationship experiences, not have some pain, Everyone goes through that to one degree or another. Betrayal, being deceived, dishonesty, lied to, hurt, dumped, ghosted, 
manipulated. I mean, this stuff happens, right? You go through life, you're going to get bruised. You're going to have some scars. You're going to have some wounds. Now, most of us accumulate that stuff. We don't let it go. We sort of hold on to it. And what happens then is it's stored inside of us and it really affects our ability to be open to a new person. Just like I used that illustration of someone who got cheated on four or five times. Well, if they don't let all that go, if they don't learn the lessons and process that and grieve it and let all that go, that past is going to be alive in them and it's going to stand between you and your next relationship. You're going to project your past pain onto that person and you're going to be living and relating from a place of suspicion or guardedness. You may make a relationship move slower than it should because you're afraid of getting hurt because you haven't let go of the the pain from something in the past. Do you follow me? Your, Your relationship to the past is... it's going to affect everything. And and most people don't know how to let go of the past. They think, what am I supposed to do? Forget that somebody cheated on me? No, of course not. But most of us are keeping the past alive in us. We're, um, we're holding on to it. We still have resentment or bitterness. We still have these barriers and these blocks. We have baggage, right? Because here's the thing. Having been a, a former professional golfer, I, I've worked with a lot of sports psychologists, and this is true in any sport, that the key to sports psychology is that the athlete is trying to approach their next pitch or at-bat or shot or point or play with a clean emotional slate. They don't want to be thinking about, I haven't got a hit in the last 30 at-bats when they're in the batter's box. When I used to play golf, if I'm if I hit a, a bad shot previously, if I don't let that go, and now it's with me on the next shot, well, that's going to affect my ability to hit the next shot. So what all of sports psychology is, is to wipe the slate clean so that you can meet this next moment fresh for what it is and and bring all of your presence and all of your ability to this one and not have the past be alive in you so it's poisoning your ability to function now. Now, that's just the same in relationships. You meet a new person and You want to be able to have your heart open. You want to have a clean slate. I'm going to meet you and interact with you and be with you and not have my impression of you be poisoned by what happened in the past because it's got nothing to do with you. But if the past is still alive in you, it's going to sort of stand between you and this person. That person is going to be judged or you'll be suspicious of them. Or you'll be guarding yourself. And it's just not fair to this new person that they have to sort of break through 
the walls of your past pain, right? I often joke that nobody brings a sledgehammer to a date, right? Nobody wants to break down somebody's walls that have been built because of all their bad experiences, okay? But this is the most common thing in the world is to, is to have baggage, to have, the, have what's called a pain body. Eckhart Tolle calls it the pain body, accumulated pain from the past that lives in us and gets triggered and stimulated and it affects our ability to trust. Like who doesn't have trust issues? If you've been hurt, you're going to have trust issues. But the trust issues will keep you single because when you've been hurt, you're going to put walls around your heart and the walls will keep you safe, but they'll keep you single. Okay? Walls won't let anybody in. But yeah, okay, you're safe, all right, but no, no one's going to be able to get to your heart because your heart is guarded. So we have to learn how to let go of the past, how to deal with forgiveness of yourself and other people, how to process that pain. And I'm just telling you, that's if there's something that I'm really good at as a coach is helping people process the past and let it go so that you can meet a new partner, a new potential partner with a clean emotional slate. Like you're meeting them and you've not had another relationship in your life. So you have no preconceptions. You have no fears. You have no worries about what they're going to do and who they are. And can I trust them? You're going to be wide open and present and able to connect with them and find out who they are rather than be projecting onto them who you're afraid they might be, which will push them away. You follow me? So how... Is, your mus- is, is the muscle of the past, is this one strong in you? Have you let go of all your past pain? Or is the past still alive in you? Do you need to work on this muscle? Probably. The fifth one is your truth. Your inner truth. Communication. Right? We all know communication is so huge in relationships. And the big choices here, are you going to reveal your truth? Or conceal it? Are you going to withhold and hide and keep secrets and share the kind of things that you think a person would like to hear and not say the things that you think might get you rejected or judged? In other words, are you going to play a game with what you say and what parts of you you show and what parts of you don't? Or are you going to reveal who you are, right? There's this little thing in the Bible of Adam and Eve, you know, where it's like they were in the garden and it says, you know, that Adam and Eve were in the garden and, you know, they leave their father and mother, they cling to each other. And it says they were in the garden together and they were both naked and unashamed. Okay. Now that's got nothing to do with having clothes on. It's spiritual. It's like there was no secrets. They were uncovered. They were laid bare they were seen. There, wasn't, there was nothing hidden, nothing withheld. They were naked. And there was no shame. Like, I see you, Adam. I see, I see exactly who you are. No shame. And Eve is, I see you, Eve. I see who you are. I see all your warts. I see your problems. I see where you're neurotic. I see where you're needy. I see the good stuff. I see the bad stuff. And there's no shame. I love you as you are. We all want unconditional love. We want to give it. We want to receive it. 
Well, you never get unconditional love unless you actually show someone who you are. But there is the fear of being rejected. Ooh, they might not like me, right? So if you want to connect and you want to create an authentic, real, honest relationship, and I've never met anyone who says, no, I want to be in a relationship where we all play games, where we manipulate and deceive and you know, withhold and tell half-truths. And I've never heard anybody say that that's the kind of relationship they want to be in. Everybody says, I want to be in an authentic, honest, open, real relationship. Well, the only way that happens is if you decide you want to be a revealer instead of a concealer. So what is your relationship to your inner truth? If you're like most people, You are afraid to let someone really see you because you're just afraid that if they saw me, they wouldn't like me. But then what do you do? Well, then you just show them the parts of you that you think they'll like, and then they fall in love with that partial image. But you never get to feel secure because they're not really falling in love with the real you. They're just falling in love with the you you've shown them. So you never feel secure because, oh, they might find that out about me. They might find out about my religion or about my politics or about my opinions about this or that or about my past or about things that I want or about some of my real real feelings and fears and frustrations and, oh, my God, if they really knew me, they wouldn't want me. So what you do is you withhold all that stuff and you you give them the image. You give them the version of you that you think they will like and then they fall in love with you. And then one day they see the real you and like, who are you? Like there's this thing where, you know, the honeymoon is over. What is that? Well, sometimes it's when a person begins to see the real you because through the romance phrase, what the romance phase is, is I'm trying to get you to like me. So I am calculating my brains out. Well, I can show you what attitude I can express. Oh, I better not say anything about that. Oh, that bothered me, but I won't say this because that might turn him off, turn her off. And then the the, the honeymoon ends is when you, you you take the filter off. You just, you start being more authentic and they've never known you. They've never known that part of you. They, they don't know what to do with that. And then you got real problems. So, If you want to be in a great relationship and you want that authenticity, then you have to decide that I am going to love who I am, accept who I am, and I'm going to show myself to another person. And if they don't like it, that's fine. I'll wait for the person that says, I love you just the way you are, even with the stuff that you think is bad. Even with the stuff that you think is not so good, the neurotic parts, the needy parts, the narcissistic parts, the negative parts, all that. But it's me. It's it's true. It's here. So what is your relationship to your truth? If the muscle is strong, you reveal. You trust. If it's weak, you play games to some degree. You conceal. You withhold. You hold back. You calculate what I will say, what I won't say, what I'll reveal, what I won't reveal. You need some help with that muscle? Man, I've never met anyone that doesn't need some real help 
with what they do with their truth. It's, I mean, the emo- the mind, the emotions, the past, and the truth, man. Those are four muscles that most of us are really weak in. Because we, where do you get training in this stuff, by the way? Where does someone ever teach you about this? Anybody in school ever tell you not to trust your own mind? God, no way. Do you ever have a class on how to handle your emotions in grade school? No, because the teachers don't know what to do with it either. <laughs> how could they teach you? <laughs> right? Any, anybody go to a class or have a college thing on how to let go of the past? Anybody ever train you when you were when you were young on how to deal with being hurt and being betrayed and how to let all that stuff go and and meet the next moment with a clean emotional slate? Heavens no. You didn't learn this in your churches, you don't learn it in school, you don't learn it from television, you don't learn it from society, you don't learn it from culture. But these are the things that make you sort of in shape enough to relate with another human being in a lasting, healthy way. Right? Now, the sixth one is your relationship to your inner energy, your aliveness. Is it blocked or is it flowing? And this is where we get into the masculine feminine discussion. Right? Is is that energy allowed to flow or is it blocked or is your hose kinked in some way? Are you shut down in some way? You know, do you feel alive? Do you feel comfortable in your skin? We carry shame in our bodies and in our energies and it, it blocks us from being the, the vibrant, alive, playful wonderful people that we can be because we not only have the baggage within us, but our energy gets, gets blocked. It's, it's like, um, you get plaque in your, your arteries, right? And it blocks the flow of blood and that could kill you, right? So you take a statin drug or you, you get some things done to open, to remove the plaque. So the blood can flow in your arteries and you're healthy. Well, we block our arteries. We block our relationship arteries with a bunch of stuff in our flow, our authentic selves, our authentic masculine or feminine selves is not able to be displayed. We're not able to be ourselves because we're all blocked up with stuff. It's like there's a river, picture a river flowing and over time, we have these rocks that get thrown in, in, the, in the river and the rocks are there and it, you know, it, stop, it stops the flow. It blocks the flow. And so that's what happens. So another aspect of this is how we make and keep agreements. A lot of, a lot of us have incompletions. We've said we will do things and we didn't do it. We said we wouldn't do things and we did. And those kinds of incompletions and giving our word and not following through and so forth, that stuff accumulates in us and it blocks our aliveness. So we don't function very well sexually. Some guys can't get erections. That's almost never psycho, uh, never biological. It's psychological. They're blocked. Their flow is blocked. The blood doesn't flow. Their body doesn't operate right. Depression, anxiety, um, all these things are 
are because our energy is blocked. Our chi, uh, the Hindus call it shakti. Christians call it spirit, right? The life force is blocked in us. And so we don't feel alive. We feel sort of down and sort of depressed or dark or, or discouraged, right? So our relationship to our energy is a huge muscle because if your energy is blocked, you're just, you're not going to be an attractive person. You're not going to be a happy person. You're not going to function well in life, sexually or relationally or otherwise. So this is, that's a huge muscle. Is your energy blocked or flowing? You have to ask yourself, how alive do you feel day in and day out? When you wake up in the morning, are you just totally excited about the day and what's going to happen? Or are you a little down and worried and sort of dark and, eh, you know, you don't feel great about your life. You don't feel great, you know, about who you are and what you're doing, right? Your energy's blocked. Your, your hose is kinked or twisted, okay? So that's huge. And the last one is your relationship to love itself. Your relate, sort of, this is your, the muscle of, you know, how you feel about intimacy. See, most of us grow up and we have experiences in our childhood that give us, that we take away from them like messages that love is controlling or love is smothering or love is about power. Or love is about performance. Love is about perfection. Right? We grow up in this world and we have we create love stories. Um, and usually they are stories that that block us and keep us from relating in healthy ways. And so then we end up the choice here is either we seek, like we're either obsessed with love, or we learn to kind of source love from within ourselves, right? So this is one I'm going to talk a lot about, our relationship to love itself. And we go through experiences and we've seen things in our, our family of origin, the way our parents related to each other. You know, sometimes you're in a family situation where one person's got all the power and the other person is very kind of dominated and submissive. And you're like, man, love is about power. And I don't even know if I want to, I don't even know if I want to be in a relationship if that's what it's going to be. Or perhaps you grew up in environments where love was very conditional based upon your performance athletically, artistically, musically, or academically or something, right? And, and you just – love is, is given when you're doing something well or doing good or being good. And so then you get in relationships and you feel like you have to perform – you know, um, another story is love is paradise. Like I can't be happy without a lover, without a partner. Life is missing something. Life is not what it's supposed to be if I'm not with someone. So that story can make you be desperate, right? So this muscle, we have love stories that can make it very difficult to connect with someone. If you think love is smothering, then you won't let yourself get close to someone. 
if you think love is about control and about power, then you're going to keep your foot on the brake and you won't let yourself be close. You might even attract people who are emotionally unavailable because they can't, they, they don't even want to get that close to you. So you kind of find someone who won't threaten your story, right? So one of the major things you got to do if you want to create a healthy relationship is identify your love stories in your relationship to love itself and clean that up and work through those stories and let them go because when you do, your heart can just become open and available to life itself. And then when you're on that starting line, you're ready to go. So that's just an overview of some of the muscles. And I just want to ask you, which ones do you need to work on? Please don't tell me that you think you're really strong in all of them. You would not be listening to this. You would be in a great relationship. The reason our love lives are messed up is because we're not strong in these areas. And then we attract partners who are not strong in those areas either. And then we get in these weird dynamics and drama and disappointments and pain. And we hurt each other and misuse each other and disappoint each other and all of that. So which muscles do you got to get stronger on? And I'd love to be your trainer. I'd love to meet with you. We go into the relationship gym together. We identify which muscles you got to get working on. And I have ways to strengthen all these muscles. I have little practices and things that questions to ask you and ways to process and grow and evolve and sort of wake up to these things to get you in better relationship shape. So I will stop here and trust that you will reach out to me if you want to get one of these muscles in better relationship shape. And another option is my newest book is called Relationship Bootcamp. Hardcore Training for Life, Love, and the Pursuit of Intimacy. And I just walked you through the basic outline of the book. The book covers the seven muscles. So that might be an option for you. You can find it on Amazon. But you know, you don't get in shape physically by reading a book. I'm not so sure you can get in this kind of conditioning without a relationship trainer. And that's what I'd love to be with you. So thank you for your time today. We will connect again, and here's to you getting yourself in great relationship shape. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships.